0: Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the Mental Health Podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome to the second episode of the Mental Health Podcast. I'm your host, Shane, and today I'm going to go through my story. I think it's only fair that if I ask other people to speak openly about their trials and tribulations, that I speak about my trials and tribulations and Uh, my life along the way to help reduce the stigma. So um, I'll go through my story today and hopefully that will help someone out there who's going through a tough time and really needs to get that sort of kick up the backside to start, you know, working towards what they want to achieve in life. So basically for me, my story started out when I was about 13 years old. I Was like any 13-year-old kid, basically. I loved playing sport. I played footy. I played cricket. I was always out on the skateboard, scooter. I remember playing table tennis in the garage when it was raining. I basically did anything that kept me active. That was who I was, and that's what I loved doing. And I had dreams. I went to school. I had a loving family. I had a roof over my head. I lived with mum, dad, and my brother um my i was very close with my extended family I had plenty of friends and basically as an outsider looking in you would have thought there was absolutely nothing wrong with me i was capable at sport um so there was from an outsider's perspective as i said there was nothing wrong so that's where sort of my journey started now i had some big dreams growing up and i had two dreams since about the age of 5 that I only wanted to do basically these two things. One, I wanted to be an actor on Neighbours. That was one of my dreams was to become an actor and do my thing on Neighbours. And I think that links back. I always watched Neighbours with my mum and my dad was there. And that was something that was really close close to my heart. And I just loved what they did. And the other thing I wanted to do, I I actually wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. Um... And a lot of my lifetime goals are to achieve that as much as I can, to be able to stay at home and be there and take the kids to school and be there for drop-off. And I remember my dad coming to after school and we kicked the footy around with the other kids and I love that and I I want to have that with my kids. Those are the memories I'm most fond of. So I was basically the average 13-year-old kid. But what started happening around that time was I started getting a lot of suicidal thoughts. So I'd go to school, my school day would be completely normal, and then I'd get to a point where I'd get home and basically as soon as I walked in the door I would break down and I would be thinking about how I could take my own life. Now what school offered me was a lot of structure. I had places to be. There was people, teachers I had to be accountable to. Um, if I wasn't in class, I'd get reported back. So It gave me a lot of that structure and as soon as I I got home, I felt like that structure was gone. It was ripped out from underneath me and all these suicidal thoughts started coming in my mind and I was like, well, what is this? Like I I feel like I'm crazy. Like I shouldn't be thinking about taking my own life. Like everything's going well in my life, but I am. So I remember through that time, um, I used to be on the phone to a friend um, named Grace and basically she was a lifesaver to me at that point in my life because I was going through all these feelings and basically I thought I was weird. I thought I was crazy. I, I thought I was different to everyone else and it was one of those things where I just didn't know what to do. I was so scared by those feelings. I, I didn't want to talk to an adult because I felt as if I was going to be judged by people. Now, the one thing that I learnt by talking to Grace is that she didn't judge me at all. She tried to help but in hindsight – Talking to someone, a 13-year-old, through that time wasn't the right thing to do because she would have had a lot going on in her life. Um, Teenage years can be quite complex. You're learning new stuff about your body. You're trying to learn. You're trying to develop. And there's a lot going on. So ideally I should have spoken up to an adult or to a teacher or to someone else, but I didn't. And that's not something I regret because it was a massive learning curve in my life. Now, I remember when I was on the phone tour quite often that I actually was crying underneath my bed. So I'd actually hide underneath my bed. And even when I wasn't on the phone tour, I'd hide underneath my bed and I'd come out for dinner or come out to go to footy training or cricket training because those things, again, I had to be accountable to someone. And if I wasn't, the questions would then be asked, like, why is he not coming? What's going on? And I didn't want to answer those questions. I didn't want to have that judgment or that fear that people were going to laugh at me or... Or mock me for what I was doing. So I basically still attended everything as per normal. As I got older and started getting towards the end of high school, things started to gradually get worse. I started what later I discovered in the last three or four years was a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of self-esteem issues and self, um, so I guess self-awareness issues within myself. I didn't believe I was good enough to be at school. I didn't believe I was good enough to have a girlfriend. I didn't believe I was good enough to ever have a career. I didn't believe I was ever good enough to do anything, basically. And all of these thought processes started coming in my mind and it really affected my life and my lifestyle that I was creating for myself. And I started, that was about the time that I started sort of self-harming a little bit as well. I would take things personally and take things to heart really, really quickly. So um, an example of that is I used to often run away from friends. So I'd be hanging out with friends and there'd be innocent banter going on between mates and that's one of those things where I, st- I love the banter between friends and sometimes I still take it to heart and take it um, too personally. But back in the day it was it was one of those things that I'd, I'd reach a snap point. Someone would call me Milko. Um, I had p- quite pale skin and still get called to that this day, and it doesn't bother me. But I'd get called that one day, and I'd just sort of snap. I'd run away. Um, I'd self-harm, and that would be – it'd be quite destructive. My friends would be like, what is he doing? He's overreacting. And um, my family would be like, he's overreacting to the situation. And, like, I sit back, and I I totally agree. I was overreacting to to those situations, but – When I look back, it was the fact that for six or eight months, I hadn't spoken about my mental health and the fact that I was going through all these suicidal tendencies, I I hated who I was, and basically then I'd just snap at what someone else did because I wanted a reason to sort of hate on myself because I always had all these feelings. So I would do that. And, like, I I look back and I'm like, yep, I was was overreacting. I, I was looking for help. And I thought that was the best way to go about it. And I, unfortunately, it was probably the worst because it drove some of my friends away. And even as I got older, it continually drove some people away from me. And like, I don't hold grudges. that It is what it is. But it's hard to sometimes handle that. You lose the people that are so close to you. So that was the kind of stuff that would you know, affect me the most. It was those little things because I wasn't talking about everything else that was going on then about year 12 that things really started turning pear shape. Now, as I said earlier, my goal was and my dreams were to be an actor. That was all I wanted to do. And I really enjoyed my theatre studies um, group. I enjoyed performing in the classroom. And I remember our mid-year performance. I was assigned a role. I learnt my lines. And on the day, I actually pulled out. I was like, I can't do this. I can't stand in front of people now anyone that knows anything about acting is you're not actually being you, you're portraying someone else on stage. Now that was something that I still couldn't get my head around and on the day, as I said, I pulled out and I remember that they got someone else to fill my role and they were walking around with a piece of paper. Now picture me walking around with a piece of paper reading the lines. Now if you go to a movie or you watch a TV show, you don't want to be seeing that. And I remember I was there, I went and watched it and I felt, that guilt, and I was like, "No, nah, I've got to re- repay the faith in my teacher, in myself, and I'm going to work really hard towards getting my goal for the future." So, what I did was, I worked really hard towards my end of year performance, and I learnt my lines. It was a solo performance down at the local community centre, and this was, I thought, was going to get me into drama school, and this was going to be sort of my make or break. And I remember on the day I woke up and I didn't message this time, I basically turned my phone off straight away and I hid in my cupboard for eight hours because I didn't want to have to answer calls or messages to where I was. Now, that was really hard, but I remember my brother getting home from school that day and I basically got out of the cupboard then and that was – because I still didn't want people to be asking questions. I didn't want to answer the questions. I didn't want to have to deal with – how suicidal I was and I remember I checked my phone and I had missed calls and messages from the teacher now he just basically said to me how are you are you okay and I was like that was one of the first times points in time that I realized that someone cared about me and it wasn't the performance it wasn't what I was doing now It was Mr. Mars, I remember. So if he's listening out there somewhere, um, shout out to him because it opened my eyes a lot and it's something I reflect back on a lot these days because he didn't care about anything but how I was and it made me feel really special. Now, I wasn't looking for that but it made me realise that someone cared about me because all I thought was people hated me. Now, that stemmed from a lot of things, uh, from my nightmares that I was having. So through my teenage years, I basically started having a lot of these nightmares where I was attempting to take my own life in the nightmare and I would end up popping up in what was a drain. So the picture of like an American movie or cartoon character popping out of a drain in the middle of the street, it was like that, one of those um, circular drains and I'd pop up from the sewerage and basically everyone that I knew was standing there laughing at me and pointing at me and basically saying, you couldn't even do that right. Like you're a failure, you couldn't even take your own life and that's what you want more than anything. So I was struggling to go to sleep because I didn't want to have these nightmares. Then I was struggling to get out of bed because I felt like everyone was going to be laughing at me and judging me. And that's where basically a lot of the stuff started, was my sleep started My sleep started to get really bad around this time and it was awful because I just felt like... I was always tired and that would put a lot more stress on my body and I would feel like all day that like no one wanted to be around me and no one, everyone was laughing at me and I had all these self-esteem issues now. As I left high school, um, things gradually got worse and I do put a lot of that down to now is that I lost that structure in my life. When I was at school, I had to be at school at a certain time. I had, There was teachers there. There was questions asked if I wasn't around. Footy training, cricket training when. I left school, I had my license, so I didn't need to be accountable to anyone anymore. And all of a sudden, I was like, these thoughts that I'm having are just me, there's no one else involved in that. And that was really, really scary for me going forward, is because I, I still didn't want to talk about what I was thinking, because I felt like I was going to be judged, I was so scared of these thoughts. Now, around this time, I found, found alcohol, as a lot of people do, now... That was such a great thing in the short term. Now, I I used to binge drink. I used to finish footy at 12 o'clock and basically drink till Sunday 1 o'clock, Sunday morning, I should say, not Sunday uh, afternoon, Um, although that sort of came a bit later on. And it was a fantastic thing because I I came out of my shell a lot and uh, I became the person that I knew I could be and that I was at times without alcohol. But the thing, what happened is I forgot about all those suicidal thoughts and I forgot about how depressed I was and anxious I was and it all went away until about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning when I had this mad rush of suicidal thoughts that just came straight back and I was like, hang on a minute, I've got to get myself home from this party or this nightclub. I've got to be in a safe environment. And that was so scary, like having just all these thoughts just came rushing back to me and rushing back and I was like, what am I going to do? Now I had this friend at the time who like simply saved my life. Now people out there thought that she meant more to me than a friend but she was simply the best friend that I could have asked for and I know I know a couple of times I called her a messenger late at night and she'd walk over to my house and would sit out the front of my house and basically sit in silence because I didn't know what to say And nothing that kind of she was going to say was going to help. I just needed someone there. And she was. And that was an incredible thing for me to have through that period of time. Ideally, going back, it wasn't the best thing. I needed to speak up more and speak to someone properly because she was going through things herself, um, 18, 19 years of old age, um, uni, family stuff. So it wasn't fair for me to put it all on her. And that's basically what I did through that period of time. So alcohol was great until a point, and that still is the case sometimes now. So I basically don't drink as often as I used to. And as that period of time lengthened, I basically started getting a little bit worse and worse and worse. And it was because I hadn't spoken to anyone And as I said, those little things just kept getting to me. I'd still have those snap points where I'd take things out on myself um, by self-harming and stuff like that. And all of this build-up all over all these years, I'm not speaking about. um, People will talk about triggers and their triggers, which really triggered their depression or their suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. And it was when I had one female relationship Um, that didn't go well, that I actually found myself at rock bottom and I actually tried to take my own life. And I like to go into this a little bit in detail because it wasn't that person's fault. It wasn't the relationship's fault. It was eight years of me not speaking up about what I was feeling that basically drew to a big conclusion where I found myself in hospital after trying to take my own life. Now, It was no one's fault. It was basically the fact that I didn't speak up. I was so scared to speak up. Now, I found myself in hospital and um, I remember mum and dad coming and um, I'm actually going to speak to mum in a future podcast about a lot of stuff. We're going to bring up basically everything. So I really hope you guys tune tune into that because she will talk about a lot of the stuff that she had to go through, a lot of the stuff that she helped me with. And how to help herself basically. So I remember really well about a few things in the hospital, and it was one mate basically said to me, There's plenty more fish in the sea, you'll find someone else. And it's such a common thing when someone breaks has a breakup in a relationship. Now, what I basically I turned to him and said to him, I said, This is not about the relationship. And even at that point I knew it wasn't. I was like, this is the last eight years of me wanting to take my own life and not understanding why and thinking I'm crazy, I'm different, I'm weird, I'm I'm not the person that I should be. Now, there's a couple of other things in hospital that really stick out and that was I had a nurse that was looking after me in my ward. Now, I was in a ward full of five or six people and all of them were elderly. They couldn't, you could physically see they were unwell, that some of them needed help going to the toilet, some of them were, you know, coughing up lungs and whatever they were in for, you could see it. And with me, I was I was fairly healthy. I was healthy. I was physically healthy. I could do everything. And the nurse treated me the same as everyone else in that ward. And that really stuck by me. It was like, hang on a minute. She, she's seen exactly why I'm in the hospital today. She knows why I'm in the hospital. And she's treating me exactly the same as everyone else. I was like, hang on a minute, there's something in this. And like I owe a lot, a lot because she taught me a lot about the experience. Then the next thing I remember is I sat down with a psychologist and I basically said, should I be in a psych ward? And they're like, look, to be honest, I don't think it's best for you because you are really comprehending what you're going through very well. Um, it may set you back. So and she basically said, what are your dreams and your goals? And I said, well, I always wanted to be an actor, but that's not going to happen now. And I paused and she paused. And then she said, why can't you be an actor? And I paused again for probably a good couple of minutes because I didn't want to lie to her and she knew the answer. And I basically said, well, I can be an actor. And She's like, well, exactly. These actors and actresses are 80 years old. You're 21. And from that moment, I realised how low I was and that anything going forward was a step in the right direction. Getting out of hospital and going back home was a step in the right direction. Speaking to my friends and my family was a step in the right direction. Calling my boss was a step in the right direction. Having a shower was a win. Those little things from there were wins in my life because the day before I didn't want to be here and I tried to take my own life. So it was really important that lesson that I learned that I needed to praise myself for those little things because those little things are things you stop doing when you are depressed and you are suicidal and they're the things that get you back on track. So after the trip to hospital, I had lots of ups and downs through the last nine years. So it's been like one big roller coaster. But I want to talk you through a few certain aspects of through that period of time for me. I will delve into a lot more stuff in future podcasts on certain points of my life. And as people ask questions, I'll talk more directly about that and certain points to give you guys better information going forward. But for me, there's a few things that stand out, and that was the support that I got from basically everyone that I knew, support from friends, support from family, support from – I remember the president of the club, footy club coming up to me and saying, um, are you okay? If there's anything the footy club can do, we're here to support you no matter what. And that was the following week at footy training when I went back. I didn't want to train. I didn't want to be involved because I was so scared – and I had a few senior players come up to me and basically share their story with me or um, offer their support. And I was like, hey, I mean, I'm not getting judged for this. This is huge. Like, I'm just going to keep talking about it. And it was massive because the more I talked about it, the better I felt. Now, I, I was on put on medication, and I'll be honest, I'm on my second medication. Uh, I still take antidepressants. Now, each to their own with medication. I wish I had maybe gone back and, and sought help from a psychologist and extended that period before I did that, but it is what it is and I know it helps me because I know if I miss a day, a couple of days later I'll actually start to feel the effects of it and I'll start to feel a little bit down. So I know it works for me. The other thing is I'm on my seventh psychologist. Now I talk about this because I think it's really important. A lot of people give up so quickly because they're like oh that wasn't for me now if you've only been once or twice how do you know it's not for you you don't just eat one or two healthy meals and be like oh that's not for me it's not going to help me lose weight you've got to stick at something consistently and actually put in the effort and time to get there now I think about it in in this way and I want you to think about it in this way too think about all the people in your life if you're involved with a club or community and think about all those people think about every class you maybe be in at school. There's no way you got along with everyone on the same playing field. You all have different, you have different values and beliefs to each person and you basically get along with a select group of people. So you don't get along with everyone. So why would you get along with every psychologist? Every psychologist is a human being with different values and beliefs. Now, yeah, they've got psychologists, they've got degrees and that's the Information they're basing off, but a lot of it is a real human life element to it. So you need to have a good connection with a psychologist going forward, and I didn't have that. So it took me a while to find that person that really helped me on a personal and mental level. Now, the other part to that is I didn't go in wanting help. Living a life of depression and anxiety is easy. It's easy to feel like that. Now, don't get all weird about that, but it's easy to stay in a shit spot, basically. It's like when you know someone who's super, super happy all the time. It's very hard to make them feel upset. So I was in this position where being sad and being depressed and being suicidal was all I knew. It was eight years of my life. It became a habit. So I actually needed to take the time to break that habit. I need to walk into each psychologist appointment and be honest and take that guidance that I was given and actually apply it to my life. Now, I still see a psychologist every now and then and I walk away and I'm like that was pointless but it's because I don't apply what they tell me to apply. I think that one-hour session every two to three weeks is what's going to help but it's the three weeks in between where you're doing what they've told you to do which is really going to help. So I needed to allow the psychologist into my life so he would give me the best guidance going forward and I need to apply that guidance going forward. So if you think a psychologist isn't for you, make sure that you've done those two things first. Now, if you think a psychologist is expensive, try living life with depressed and suicidal and not earning the income you potentially could earn not having the friends that you possibly could have, not having the best of your life. That is the cost that is eventuated with not having the mental health. Now, to put it in perspective, personal trainers are charging what you might think is expensive, but it's an investment on your life. It's to give you the happiness that you want going forward, just like some people think a car will make them happy. It's an investment. It's a lot of money. It's a house. It's a lot of money. But it's what you get out of it. And that's exactly the same with mental health. You need to speak up. You need to speak to a psychologist. You need to get professional help. So that was really important for me. A few of the things that I learned through psychologists that really helped me and their forms of meditation is when I'm in an environment where I'm heavily distracted, say footy, cricket, and I'm thinking about life stuff, I will grab my shorts, and I want you to grab your shorts as well, and just feel the texture down the side of them or your jeans and feel the the texture and rub it and think about it. What does it feel like? Does it feel prickly? Does it feel soft? And really delve deep into it. It sounds strange and it sounds weird, but that's what enables me to bring myself back onto a football field or a cricket field when I'm stressed stressed, or depressed or even when I'm doing a talk. It'll bring me back to the centre of the room and stop me focusing on what's outside those four walls because I want to deliver what I'm delivering the best I can. The other thing I do because I'm a shocking sleeper is I count down from 99 to 0 really slowly, and that enables my breath to be controlled. It also makes me think about the counting. So counting down nice and slowly makes me switch off to what's going on around in my mind, the stresses that are happening my with my business or with my life or whatever's going on and it then helps me sleep without nightmares now I remember one of the first times I did it, it was like in the second week I was doing it and I remember looking at the clock at 9 p.m and I, then I remember looking at the clock at 2 a.m so I'd actually been there for five hours doing it but I knew at that point if I didn't stick to it I'd never do it again and that was when like I started learning about the habit loop and how important it is it was to stick that out because if I didn't I was going to give up so I did that going forward through that period of time as I spoke about earlier it was the little things that really started to affect me and it was still the the case going forward there was a time when my parents got separated and you know I felt fine during it like there was obviously the the emotion and stuff that comes with it Um, you think they're going to be together forever and the thing is with that, I had people to talk to. I had those people that had experienced it before through their life. So it made me realize that speaking about that was going to help. And I was like, hang on a minute, if I speak more about my mental health, that's going to help as well. Then it came to oh, the time I tore my kidney playing football and I was basically told you never play footy again. And that was it. And I remember being in a hospital ward and, um, and I think this was partially to the medication and the drugs that I was on. But I was, I was fine in the hospital. I wasn't worried about all these machines that I was sticking to my body, basically, and testing me and making sure I was alive because I had people and family there to talk me through it. I had doctors there to talk me through it. And it was another thing that I was like, well, I can talk about this, Well, I can't talk about my mental health because it's making me feel better, making the other people around me feel better because they know what's going on as well. So that were two things that were really important for me. In that period of time, there were a couple of people that were, you know, disbelievers, so to speak, people that didn't understand it, didn't really believe it, and it was all new to them. And that were the two people I actually worked with, my boss and the other bloke I worked with who I'd known for years, and they played a huge role in my recovery. And it was super important to have them because I remember – The day I called my boss and I was like, this has just happened. I won't be able to work for a while and he was in shock and he was upset and I could hear the tears. And that that really shook me because he wasn't an emotional person. He was your typical man's man. And he basically said to me, you take as long as time off work as you need. And that was really important for me to hear because I was like, I've got a job, I've got security at the end of this. There's no pressure on me to get back to work tomorrow and I'll be honest, it took me 12 weeks to actually get back to work after that period of time but it was so important because I knew I had that stability. I didn't get paid for those 12 weeks and I didn't want to get paid for those 12 weeks but I wanted to repay that faith and I remember the first day I got back to work. Both of them took me aside separately and basically said the same thing if you need me to cover you at work for 10 minutes while you need to walk away because there's something going on or you need to talk to about something, we might not understand, but we're here to listen. I was like, hang on a minute. These are two men's men. They don't show emotion. They don't understand it. They probably didn't believe it until I tried to take my own life. Wow, I'm getting support here. People care about me. People don't want me to go. And it was the first time I started thinking that I mattered and I was in Important, not just to myself, but to other people, and that what I'd done had affected other people to an emotional point. And that's what I'll talk about my mum with in, in a future blog, a future podcast. So, as I said, there was lots of ups and downs, lots of roller coaster rides, and it basically was that up and down process. But in saying all of that, everything has taught me a lesson. And the fact that it's taken nine years for me to get to that point from where I was in hospital, nearly 10 years, to being able to actually podcast and talk about this and open up, it's worth every bit of time and effort that goes into it because this, the fortunate part about it is that every time I've improved or got better, it means that I'm better for the next 50 years of my life. Whereas if you sort of give up at 25 and still the same at 45, you may have wasted 20 years of ha- pure happiness. Now, I know within myself I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot further than where I was when I first started at 21. So all that hard work has paid off. Now, this is probably the hardest part of I find to talk about because I don't like to talk about my success too much, but it's so important that I do that to show you that no matter how low you get, you can get to where you want to get if you work hard and you put in the effort. Now, for me, it has been nine long years, and it, but it will be ongoing for the next fifty years because it, my mental health will always be there, just like my physical health. It will always be there, so I need to continually work to put it into to put the learning into action. Apologies, just had a big swallow then, and it was really important. It's really important that I keep working on those things going forward. Now. What have I achieved in the last nine years? Well, I actually completed my landscaping apprenticeship, which was mainly doing pool time I then successfully worked as a subcontractor for three years. I ended that phase of my life and took a really big risk into having no job. and started my own business as a PT personal trainer. And the reason I wanted to do that is because I actually had gone through my own transformation that year. I joined up with, uh, I'll give him a shout-out, Travis Pantalic at MPT Transformations. And even though I'm a personal trainer now, I'm happy to um, give other people shout-outs. We're all in this together. And he really helped me deliver structure into my life. So training became a routine a habit. And over the next six months, admittedly I didn't lose any weight and I didn't really lose any centimetres, but the structure and the changed eating and all of that stuff the, the weight training made me feel stronger it made me feel like I was more capable in myself and it gave me a confidence I never ever had before and like my me- mentally I changed so much in that six months and I was like I've got to become a personal trainer because I want to help people mentally it, was, it wasn't even about the physical at that point over the next three months I went bang and I lost 14 kilos and a truckload of centimeters and Was getting stronger and fitter, and I just went from strength to strength from there. And so I jumped into the business and basically started that with a partner I had at the time, and things went pear shaped. um, About a year later, but I basically ran the business myself and continue to run that this day. So it's been three years since I run that business. Nearly four years, I run the business mainly by myself. I now have a fiance, and she helps. She's a business partner as well so we run the business together and it's actually allowed me to do this podcasting stuff and my mental health stuff which has always been a dream since I've gone through it is to actually help other people. I've always wanted to help you and help your family and everything get the support they need and and open up. So I'm doing this now as well. Um, The business is successful We have our own personal training studio in Churnside Park in Melbourne, Victoria. We also have an online coaching program which we use to help people who don't live near us. We have a client in Adelaide at the moment. So we like to help people physically and uh, mentally go through their transformation and find who they really want to be and learn how to – my dream is to help people learn how to shop learn how to eat the food they need to eat, learn how to weight train because that is that is the funnel to life, building muscle mass, lean muscle mass. So that's what I love to do. Apart from that, I've also started, I've also done a bit of extra acting work. So I've, I did two beginner acting courses and if you look back, if I look back at my footage, I'm not that good of an actor at the moment. Um but I've done some extra acting work. So I've done a bit of work on Neighbours, extra, extra work. So I've sort of achieved that dream. I've done, I was on Playing for Keeps this year in the new TV show in Australia. Um, I've also done a sports bet commercial, which I was fortunate enough to meet Virat Kohli, the Indian cricket captain. And I've also done, oh No, sorry, that was the Pepsi commercial. I've also done a sports bet commercial as well. Unfortunately fortunately enough, this year I got my first acting gig, which um, was like a five-second gig, but I was there for about two hours um, working for, for a television uh, commercial for government school. So I got to do that as well, which was an awesome feeling because I actually walked in on that day with confidence. I was like, yep, I am meant to be here, it, as I said, in year 12, I didn't, couldn't even go on stage in front of three people, let alone go to a place I'd never met anyone and speak in front of and act in front of people. So that was a huge deal this year for me. I was accepted as a volunteer speaker for Beyond Blue, so I've done over 80 present. I've basically told this story over 80 to 90 times now. Groups of people ranging from 10 to 1,200, from schools to RSLs to footy clubs to netball clubs. And basically to any group of people who are looking to reduce the stigma, I've done businesses. I've done the Wood Group um, and Melbourne Water, which I have to give them, them a thank you for helping me get this podcast up and running with some equipment. And that's been awesome for my life, um, just hearing other people's stories. And that's what, what I want to bring to you out there I've also done Beyond Blue suicide prevention videos, which are on their website. I highly recommend you go on them and watch them. There's so so many resources on there, but these ones specifically, there's four stories about people who went through a suicide attempt. There's also four people who lost someone to suicide. So it's really good information to know you're not alone in this, and that's one of the most important things going forward is you aren't alone. As well as all that stuff, I've also was president of the creative club for one year. I've captained a cricket side, I've won a premiership playing cricket, I've won a batting average playing cricket, I've been a part of football finals, Um, I'm now a reserves coach at Yarra Glen footy netball club and that's a huge step going forward because I've now started this podcast, I'm going to be coaching and running a business and working on my own transformation so I'm going to be very busy going forward but I really love that because it shows me where I came from where I used to lie in bed for days on end and used to not eat because I just couldn't be bothered now I know the impact of all these things has a beneficial on my health and other people's health so I actually love doing it and basically that's where I am today that's the things I've achieved I've also spoken I've also spoken at the Hawthorne Football Club this year and I'm hoping to bring a Hawthorn player into my podcast in the future which I'm really excited about um I've just got to finalize those details I've also spoken at the Hawthorne president function and that was huge for me I got to toss the coin in the middle of the ground and got to meet Jeff Kennett uh had Lee Matthews and Mike Sheen and Luke Power come up to me after my presentation and say well done and that was very overwhelming in a way because I remember looking out to 600 people and there was 10 to 15 of the Hawthorne Premiership side from the 80s. And I was just like, this is like so surreal. I'd just heard about these people and seen footage of them and it was just amazing to do that. So that's a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now. And basically um, I want to show you, tell you guys that, tell you that, because I want to tell you because I want you to be able to see that no matter how low you get, you can work through it. There is hope with recovery and you'll build resilience along the way. I really want to thank you for listening. I really hope you got something out of this. There is going to be more stories to come. I have in the works speaking to my mum, my brother, about how they dealt with me, what they did to help me, how they felt through the experiences. So to give family real-life experience of how to help other people, how I helped my mum go through it as well how I opened up in the best way possible. I'm going to speak to my brother also about what he's been dealing with this year through a workplace injury which um, has basically changed his life. Hopefully speaking to a lady who suffered anxiety, a male who went through drug addiction. I'm going to speak to Alicia, my partner, on her anxiety issues and also what I, what we do to also help us going forward to be in a relationship because I know there's a lot of people out there that struggle to have a relationship with someone and believe that their mental health is the reason they're not in a relationship when it's really not. It can be a really great building block to a strong relationship. Sorry why I get those words out. I'm hoping to also then talk to someone whose wife went through a stroke last year and the effect it had on his mental health. He's also gone through a great transformation So I want to talk about his physical and mental transformation. I want to speak to basically anyone out there that has their own story. I want to speak to Beyond Blue representatives. I want to speak to a bloke who lost his leg in a car accident and what that effect had on his mental health and physical health. I want to talk with people from Headspace. I want to speak to basically anyone who has a story about mental health, famous, real life or otherwise anyone in between. Thanks for listening. I really hope you got something out of this. And remember, life matters. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13 1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V I T A L I T Y F I T T.com.au.